Life And is a podcast brought to you by Scranton Fringe, made possible by the Luzerne County Medical Society and in partnership with Park Multimedia. Hello, listeners. My name is Tanya Verkaitis, and welcome to another episode of Life And. This podcast has one goal, to document and celebrate the strange phenomena we call the human experience by sharing true stories. This season of our podcast, we turn our focus onto the theme of life and celebration. Though seemingly lighthearted, like most things in life, a celebration can take on many forms and mean many different things to very different people. It is our hope that by hearing these true firsthand experiences, we can work towards creating more unified, honest, and supportive communities. Thank you, dear listener, for making time for the stories of others, This is Life and Celebration. This episode of Life and discusses, among many things, mental health and suicide ideation. If any of our listeners or someone you know is in need of help, a fantastic resource is the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. You can reach this lifeline by calling 1-800- 273-8255. Again, that is 1-800-273-8255. The number in the Suicide Prevention Lifeline's official website address can be found in the description of this episode on whatever platform you're listening. Monica Simon is a writer, artist, and web content creator from Scranton, Pennsylvania. She believes in the power of empathy and love, which are transmitted through the power of storytelling. She enjoys catching live music, painting, and chasing her bunny around the living room. She aspires to grow old and look back at her life with amusement about what a ride it was, and we're thrilled to welcome her to this podcast. When I was asked to be on the show for the theme celebration, it was a little bit funny to me to think about. It was a different perspective on the story than I'm usually used to sharing. I used to tell this as a sad story, but as with most things in life, through time and healing, I see this story as a cause for celebration rather than a reason to be sad. But you'll need to trust the process, as this story may not read as your typical cause of celebration. We'll get there, though. I promise. My story starts in 2014. Well, actually, it started when I was born and has weaved itself in and out of every year. It is about me, my story, my life, and my celebration of it, even the dark parts. But we will start, as I said, in 2014 when I lived in Philadelphia. I suppose a better word for it may be survived rather than lived. At the time, I was truly struggling. It was the first time I was out on my own in the world and I thought it would be easier. I was emotionally unstable, anorexic, and deeply depressed. I understand now that I was living a life with undiagnosed ADHD, but at the time, I just felt like a total failure. 
I remember times when I would cook oatmeal in the morning and just stare at it before throwing it away. There was an overgrown parking lot fenced in near my apartment and I would stand at the fence and just stare at it. I could not make sense of the ways I felt inside. I felt like my heart was a thousand pounds to carry and my brain didn't have the capability to conceptualize why. I didn't want to be these things, depressed, unattached, and confused. I wanted to be normal and functioning. But instead, I just managed to scare everyone I know with my deep dives into the darkness. After too many teary-eyed calls and a number on the scale far too low, my parents suggested maybe it was time for me to come back to Scranton. I did not want to. I wanted to spread my wings. I wanted to go places. I wanted to be okay on my own. But I wasn't. Admittedly, there was a love interest in Philly that I felt could save me. To be fair, he did technically save me by pushing me deeper into rock bottom, a place I needed to go to bounce back. I said so long to him and probably to his relief. And in June of 2014, I moved back with my parents and tried to get better. It didn't work out quite as planned. A month after coming back, I found myself alone with my back against the wall and a knife in my hand. I could think of nothing other than ending the pain, and the only way I felt I could do that would be to end my life. I would stare at my cell phone, willing it to ring, just so I knew someone cared. I guess I didn't really want to die. I wanted someone to save me. I wanted to be capable of being saved. But to simplify it, I really just wanted life to be manageable. I wanted to be less sad and scared and better at eating. I wanted the broken heart in my chest to heal itself. I went to therapy, I moved home, but nothing was working and I had just about given up. I called my therapist, who told me I needed to go to the hospital. I hung up and told her I'd consider it. Then I called back and said, I think I'm just going to call off work and go shopping. Silence. Her reply. Shopping's not going to solve this. Darn. (laughs) I never pictured myself as somebody who would spend time in the hospital for suicidal ideation, but the pain inside of me was greater than my ability to handle it. I needed to do something. So I was admitted after being evaluated by a psychiatrist. There would be no shopping that day. It was July 25th. 2014 when I woke up in the hospital and realized that something in my life needed to change. It's interesting to me the reactions people have to someone spending time in a hospital due to mental health reasons. There are a lot of different reactions, most of them sad or pitiful. Many times people get silent because they don't know what to say. Other times they get scared of what might happen if I were to do that, and they sort of space out to think about it. I've never had anyone tell me straight out that I was weird or an outcast because of this experience, but somehow I felt underneath, sometimes, like no one will actually say that that's what they're thinking. But they may create a distance that speaks to that truth. 
My mother once told me that she felt hopeless when the psychiatrist suggested my admission because she felt like she couldn't take care of me, which is what a mother should do. But actually, she was taking care of me. The thing is, and I want to be very clear about this, I would never change this experience in one million years. The people I met during my short stay there changed my life. To this day, some eight years later, I still vividly remember the stories and all I learned from them. I didn't love the linoleum floors, the being woken up for suicide checks, or the line for our daily pills, which is pretty much like it is in the movies. But I did value what I learned from the stories of others. One man had picked up the battle after 18 years sober and ruined his life, his words, in one night. One woman had a son who murdered somebody. I think the most impactful person I met was the mother who lost her daughter to suicide, as I was able to see the flip side of what could have happened if I had followed through. I learned a lot about myself and others those three days, but most importantly, I learned that I absolutely felt I could figure a way out, a way to handle my circumstances, especially if the people who were sitting at this table around me could do it too. So after three days, I was released. This started a year full of doctor's appointments, psychiatric visits, and the kind expertise of an amazing nutritionist who I reference in my head daily. It was the best and the worst year of my entire life. A year later, on July 25th, 2015, I decided that would forever be my day. I would celebrate the fact that I wanted so badly for my life to end, and yet I found a way to keep going. I told you, there is a celebration involved. In the spring of 2016, I was thinking about that day in July and how I wanted to celebrate it. ADHD has a lot of negative sides to it, but one really great aspect is the constant stream of ideas that flow in and out of your brain. They aren't always good ideas, but some are. (laughs) I realized what I wanted most to celebrate on that day was people being kind to other people. On a whim, I created a Facebook event called Be Kind Scranton and asked the city to join me on my special day. Maybe this is a little bit selfish, but I really just wanted people to commit acts of kindness to celebrate the fact that a story could have ended, and it didn't. I was still here. I wanted to celebrate what I had overcome and the fact that I found a way to manage my 1,000-pound heart. When it came to Be Kind Scranton, and the Be Kind Scranton event, I thought people might just humor me and a few of my close friends would maybe get involved. But it ended up taking off. People I didn't know sent me so many messages about their own stories and struggles and spoke of how I was helping them feel less alone. I never expected to be in the local newspaper for anything, uh, especially a near suicide attempt. But I was determined not to hide my story in shame and to celebrate it. 
Most people who are suicidal do not want to admit it, which is why it is important to me to share this story. I have felt so alone, but I know that I'm not. And by sharing this, I hope that somebody else will realize that they also are not alone. Suicide ideation isn't always indicative of somebody wanting to commit suicide. It could be a symptom of trauma or PTSD. I'm lucky that I stayed alive long enough to realize that. But if we're not willing to talk about it, all these people who are feeling the same way may think there's something wrong with them. Because that's how I felt. But anyway, back to the good stuff, back to the celebration. On July 25th, 2016, my day, so many people met me in downtown Scranton to celebrate the fact that I was still alive. It was the hottest day of the year. No exaggeration. But it didn't seem to matter to anyone. At least it didn't matter to me. We wrote kind messages in chalk, held up positive signs, passed out water and ice pops, and we just had a grand old time. The most magical aspect was when a woman walked up to me who I didn't know. She was crying, and she told me that she felt like she knew me because her story was so similar to mine. I cried too. Not only were people willing to transform one of the worst moments of my life into one of the best, but they were embracing my story and helping me heal from it. In a lot of places, mental health can be very stigmatized, but here in this city, on that important day, people were rallying to celebrate the overcoming of a mental illness. I was honored and elated and proud. I felt like I did have a place in the world, and equally as important, my story held meaning to other people. People were allowing me the space to heal, and furthermore, they were celebrating it. As I continue to navigate the challenges of life, I always remember that day and the importance of sharing my story. A lot of times, I don't feel that it's something to celebrate. It can feel shameful or pathetic or a handful of other negative things. I can get stuck on the discomfort of others when such a serious, dark moment is brought up. I sometimes ask God, why did I have to have a brain like this? However... Then, July 25th comes around to remind me, well, hey, maybe it's a rough story. Maybe my brain could have been built a little bit differently. Maybe a lot of things. But at least I'm still here to share the story. I think that merits in itself a celebration. And I was lucky enough to live in a city that agreed. Thank you. Thank you, Monica, for sharing your story with us. I know that mental health and suicide can be a difficult topic to discuss. Um, definitely needs to be destigmatized, but I'm happy that you chose to share your celebration with us. Um, one of the things I also appreciated was in your story, you shared what it felt like while you were in Philadelphia. And I think we often hear about mental health issues, but you describing it as this weight in your chest and staring at this field through the fence really helped to paint a picture for me. Um, 
Do you feel that since you started Be Kind or started celebrating, you've been able to describe what it felt like better? Or was it something that you always felt the words were there, but maybe you just didn't verbalize it? That's a really good question. Um, I I was talking about um, this with the coaching session earlier because it's so it's just interesting you bring it up because I was telling her that I don't always have. I'm not always great at describing that kind of thing. Um, so I'm grateful that um, I'm grateful that others remind me. So I feel like I was in a way. Um, I feel like it's it's an interesting question for me because for most of my life, I could not describe my emotions and I couldn't describe how things felt. And I watch all these documentaries and I see people speak about mental health and they say things that are so vulnerable and things that like you can't necessarily feel like they talk about their chests being heavy. And I felt like in the past, I would almost think that was cheesy in a way or something. But I think that now I realize, like, I just didn't know. I wasn't able to articulate it like they are. And I think it's part of the healing process to learn to articulate it. Um, So I'm glad that, you know, other people are here to, like, help me point that out and recognize that. Like, how did that actually feel? Um, And I'm glad that I am at this point able to articulate it. But I I don't think I always have been. You also said that you thought it would be easier when you left home. Since we're talking about this articulating of a feeling, right? Do you think that when you were at home in the space where people knew you, you couldn't put words to something that you were experiencing and maybe a change of scenery would change how you felt? Yeah. I mean, I feel that I, um, I've moved. I mean, I moved twice in um my life so once to Philadelphia and then once to um Milwaukee Wisconsin I lived I went away for college but every time that I was somewhere not where I didn't recognize my surroundings um I lost like a comfort level and it's interesting because you know we all know that family can drive us crazy um but when you don't have that structure even if it's not even if it's not perfect um when you don't have people like for me I just yeah when I moved I felt like I was able to notice a lot more I think I had less to concentrate so I was concentrating on myself and then I was getting lost in it um but then when I did come back there was a sense of people being around that knew me and that were able to kind of pull me out and be supportive but I think like knowing the surroundings is just important for some reason yeah yeah you also talk about being in the hospital and that moment where you went from wanting to be saved to saving yourself And I was just wondering if there was a particular thought that went through your head where it was kind of like, oh, I have the power to do this and I want to do it. Um, Well, that song. okay, so there was this really cool moment, I thought, when I was in the hospital and it was the morning and um, we were all kind of like in this area where we would eat our breakfast and they would put on music videos. So Sam, um, I think it's Sam... Mm, I wanted to say Sam Harris, uh, the Smith? one that's like, um, stay with me. 
Yes, Sam Smith. That song came on, and it was there were so many different types of people in that room, different mental capabilities, different um, demographics, you know. And I, everybody stopped like and to listen to that song, and even like this man that was a little bit older was like, "Oh, this is a good song." Anyway, I really felt that song. Like, I felt it. Like, I felt like I could hear the artist and, like, his pain. Um, And I felt like it felt a lot how I felt because, like I said, I was trying to have somebody save me. So that song was how I felt. I was like, I wanted someone to stay with me and be okay, but then, like, help me be okay. Um, But I think there was this moment where I, like, went into my room and I looked out the window and I realized just that that the person like wasn't coming um and it wasn't one particular person it was just that I was like in a hospital and there was nobody coming (laughs) so I felt that like I kind of got to this point where I realized like my parents like I've done a lot to keep me going and my family has um but there's gonna have to be a day when I do it on my own and I think that it hasn't been like necessarily an aha moment you mentioning it is making me think it is, but it's been more of a long process of like coming to terms with this fact of I need to do it on my own. <laughs> well, it's been a journey. It's been definitely. A journey. It um, been. One of the things I also thought about when you were talking about the woman at the hospital who had lost her daughter to suicide, do you think hearing her story made you think about how you might be impacting your family? Yeah, absolutely. I didn't really get to even speak with her. Um, she was so upset. And I I don't even to this day think I've ever seen somebody that upset. I would be hard-pressed to find another time. I remember exactly what she looked like. But it was that moment. It was being slapped in the face with, and I hate to say it that way because it's, like, not a bad thing, but it was, like, the truth of like how my family would feel um and I think that that is something that is constantly on my mind um like just recently my mom brought up how scared she even is to this day and I had a um she just was describing when we were in the hospital and like how she had to leave and it was really tough for her which she never voiced to me before but I had to say to my mom like I need you to trust me now Like, I need you to trust that, like, I'm not going to do that. Um, And that in itself is really hard for another person to do. Um, But it's so important because I don't want to be the burden and I don't. And, you know, um, I hate that idea of hurting my family. Um, But it is something that it, yeah, it's a difficult thing. And I hate that that woman lost her daughter. I really do. So I hate to say, like, I'm glad that I saw her because that's not the case. But I definitely think it was a significant moment. Well, yeah, it was a turning point. I also love that you're sharing the fact that you and your mother have both been able to be vulnerable with one another. And that's kind of what this whole celebration now that happens is all about, right? You've been vulnerable. It allows other people to share their stories with you, which is exactly what we're trying to do here. Um, <laughs> so that people know, yeah, thank you, that they can be vulnerable. But what other sorts of things are you doing now for your Be Kind celebration? I know that first year you had 
chalk drawings yeah. and whatnot. How have you yeah. expanded? So that year was great. Um, and I actually think that was like one of the best years of my life. Um, I loved there were so many events that year I was in a place where I think I could I could plan a lot more events at that time because I was um at that point I was I was still living at home um and I was able to kind of like I felt like I found myself through art and I had this spirit for it I do still try to keep it up like a few times a year I will go downtown and I will try to write notes um or I will try to you know with every time I get a library book I try to put like a nice note in there I try to keep it alive I would like to see it um reemerge and I hope to be in a place where I can do that um but with mental health um one of the things that's super difficult about having a mental illness is that there are times when you have to, at least for me, I have to shut down, so to speak. Um, and that's only to preserve myself um, and to get better. Um, but it's not so great when you're trying to plan an organization and carry things out. So um, I am hopeful that in the future I can, you know, continue to have it um, at least as much as I am now and I really hope to get it going more um again but that is contingent on how I am able to handle the things that life throws at me which is a lot (laughs) so well I think now is the time to ask people to kind of keep be kind alive so if you could leave people with one recommendation of how they could help you keep be kind alive what would that be Ooh, I love that question I mean, I think about it so often because I do think that this is a time where we need be kind. Um, And I do think that there was a point in time um, in our recent history, I would say that maybe be kind Skirrington wouldn't have gone over as well as I would have hoped because I feel that people were in a very panicked um, and angry and intense state of mind for a lot of very valid reasons. Um, But I do, and so it was almost like, I was almost like, oh, man, like, I don't know with the way the world is now, like, if people will be receptive to that. But now as time goes by, I feel like the vibes are coming back. And so um, to answer your question, I think that really just knowing that, like, it's the small stuff in life. And so one of the things about Be Kind Skirt, and I've always been very adamant about this, is I never wanted it to be about money. Um, and that's hard to do. Um Money is definitely necessary and when you're planning an event, you know. But I never wanted it to be something that people felt like they needed to have money to be involved with. Um, I wanted to always keep it really simple, and that's what it's always been. Um, so I feel that more people have been happy about, like, seeing something written in chalk that's inspirational. Um, and I've had people that, you know, come – that figure out, you know, in hindsight that I was the one doing that. And then they're like, wow, that changed my life. Like that, I saw those signs when I was walking downtown and it helped me and all this stuff. Um, So I would want people to just do silly things that are like kind to other people. Like we just need more silliness. We need more like, we need to not worry about looking dumb. We need to not worry about like taking five seconds to write a nice note to somebody and leaving it in a library book. Like 
that stuff is little but like for somebody who's super struggling and like I said in my story like I was looking at my phone just like willing somebody to call me that's not to say that somebody needs to call me in order for me to be okay that is not the message I'm trying to um get across but it's just the idea that people like feel special when they see that something is almost left for them or they found something that makes them feel okay so I think just little things like that could make so much of a difference unexpected signs of support yeah 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 just like yeah just be nice to people be kind you know like that it's so like it could be so silly like I mean I love when people buy coffees that's a money thing doesn't have to be like that but it's just like even if you just compliment somebody um I just think that like it makes such a big difference (laughs) thank you I really appreciate your story and your vulnerability thank you so much I'm so glad that I got to be here I'm appreciative and your questions were great thank you Dear listener, thank you for joining us for another episode of Life Ant. It is thanks to people like you that we're able to make this wonderful project a reality. Be sure to subscribe and leave a great review wherever you enjoy listening to your favorite podcasts. Until next time, dear listeners, remember to breathe and to make time for stories, yours and others.